Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Thank you so much for making a commitment to learning. We hope everybody is still doing well. I'm your host, Jordan Porter, joined by the superior, sanguine, and sincere Yvonne Brandenburg. I don't think I'm superior, but I, oh my God. I call you boss lady. Okay. Yeah. But it's like a co-boss lady. I don't, I don't think there's like, you're the OG boss lady. All right. Fine. I'll take that. <laughs> Therefore you are the superior boss lady. No. <laughs> Obviously this week is brought to you by the letter S. <laughs> Obviously. Yes. We also, we had a review this week. So shout out to Ash. Is it Ash Hill three? Or is it as hill? As hill, A, S, hill, three. Anyways, whoever you are, by the way, make sure you let us know who you are so we can send you a sticker because we do have stickers for reviews. Just a reminder. Yep. They said, (laughs) so they said, team amazing. Love listening to this podcast on my way to work and even around my home. Love learning something new every time and continuing to be a better technician to my patients. Absolutely love what I do. And you ladies are part of that. Aww, I know. I love right? it. <laughs> Super sweet. Well, I'm glad that you can listen to us be crazy on the way to work. And even while you're around the house, I'm guessing probably doing chores or quarantining. Ugh. Hopefully it's doing something besides just quarantining and staring at blank walls, which is what I feel like I do sometimes. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I've done like all week, basically. <laughs> I know, right? I know you're home this week. It's so crazy. I'm home again. <laughs> like I know. God. It's not good for my mental health. But I understand yeah. one of our coworkers, so like nobody at work, well, originally was exposed. Mm. We had a coworker whose roommate tested positive. So then we closed down for a couple of days just to make sure that she wasn't going to test positive because we had all worked with her Friday and Monday. Yeah. And then right when we were like, okay, cool. Everything's good. She tested negative and she feels fine. So we're all going to come back to work. Um, she's still quarantining too, obviously, cause she lives with her roommate, but they're in like, they're staying in like separate bedrooms. Mm. Um, and she texts me like daily, like I'm staring at walls. I need to leave this room. And I'm like, Aww. I get it. Oh, so she's like in her room. Cause it's a roommate. Yeah. So they're not even like, <laughs> no. So one roommate's oh. in one room and like, luckily they have like separate bathrooms. And so like they, <sighs> They're just like sequestered on their sides of the apartment. It's an apartment too? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't even imagine. I feel so bad for anybody who's gone through that. Yeah. And then, um, but we're remaining quarantined because someone else at work um, tested positive. But it was like during that good time frame where none of us had been there. So like we are all just staying home, but... It's hard because you have a small team, right? You have we have less, a small team. We can't do 10? like, mm-hmm, yeah, we can't. There's, yeah, there's six of us. Like we can't do a B team and stuff yeah, like no. that. Yeah. 
So and that sucks because when there's six people, you're in close contact with all six of them because exactly. there is no personal space in veterinary medicine. I think no, this so, year has proved that. <laughs> so we're just trying to be safe. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh. I know. Like you were talking about that. And I was like, well, I just got my first vaccine this week, which that was a whole ordeal. Um, I think it took, I don't know. I feel like it took three weeks for me to finally get an appointment. Like, um, so I'm in California, obviously. Uh, and in California, veterinary professionals were, um, put into tier one, a, so same as healthcare workers. And, it just, it's just been like this horrible rollout. <laughs> like not everybody's on the same page. So some counties are like, no veterinary professionals aren't in this tier. Mm-hmm. And then some it's like pharmacies or vaccine centers, I guess, are like interpreting it different. We're like, no, look, we're on the list. And so it's really, it's been frustrating because some people have gone to appointments and then been turned away at the appointment. Yeah. Um, so people are like taking letters with them, pay stubs, the letter, like the page printed out from like the website. But I, I got really lucky after multiple emails, phone calls, e-visits, whatever. Um, I, I finally heard from my primary care doctor, and they gave me a phone number to call. And so then I called and they're like, well, we have a cancellation tomorrow. Would you be able to go? And I was like, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I honestly, I, I, I think the only reason they had a cancellation was because it was super rainy this week and it was cold and miserable. And most of the people that were there were like, because they had just opened it up to over 75. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think there were people that were over 75 that are like, nope, I'm not driving in the rain. <laughs> um, so I got one of their canceled appointments, but it's a whole thing, dude. That's yeah. Like, and it's like hit and miss, like how people feel. Like, I think yeah. I got lucky at a short sure i had a sore shoulder um just the muscle like obviously it's an im injection um and then the day after i was just tired so i ended up passing out on the couch at seven o'clock that evening um so you know yeah that happened so it's it's just you know a year later and we're still dealing with stuff but yeah i don't foresee it going away really anytime soon no i as much as I want it to, I, I think the rest of this year, unfortunately, is going to be similar to last year. Yeah, probably. Which is kind of sad. And I really don't want it to be like that, but I think it's going to be. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah. Yay. Yay, COVID making our lives a little crazier than normal. Just a little. <laughs> Just a little. And kind of to go along with those things of the crazy and our lives being uprooted, uh, Jordan and I are working on our list of uh, upcoming podcast episodes. And uh, we did decide we're, we're going we're gonna to do a mental health series because we're all in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I think, you know it should we're working on it we've got some ideas so um you know kind of be on the look on them that we're gonna try to do that relatively soon yeah um, i have a feeling we're gonna learn 
our listeners are going to learn a lot about us here. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, I, I'm a little squidgy about it, but I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is going to happen because, because yeah. <laughs> I think we it has we to. Yes, because yeah. we need to. And if we're going through it, others probably are too. Oh, right. Yes. I know other people are going through sure. all this, which is part of the reason why you and I decided that we're going to, we're going to do it. So, so mm-hmm. be on, um, you know, look out for that. We'll let you know once we have an idea of when our next series is, are going to be, cause again, <laughs> we're working on outlines and things right now. Um, working on the next batch of race approved podcast episodes too. So, um, yeah. anything else? before we need to jump into well need to before we jump into this episode <laughs> we need to <laughs> now we're gonna we're gonna dive this week to the internal side of the body but also external which is very like outside of our realm yeah this is like the one the one skin disease that's kind of ours it's definitely ours <laughs> i think none of the other ones are ours <laughs> so go to dermatology i don't i don't want to be involved (laughs) yeah like even cutaneous lymphoma you're like you need a you need a a punch biopsy bye yeah exactly (laughs) it's on the outside (laughs) so yes this this one is us yeah we we are going to be talking hepatocutaneous syndrome which as gross as these dogs look I like this disease. Yeah, so this week's episode is called Hepatocutaneous Syndrome When Liver and Skin Collide, because that's that's what we're talking. We're talking liver and skin. Ugh, skin. Yeah, and um, we apologize. It's not in a series. It was just something (laughs) we wanted to do, so it's kind of thrown at the end. We're sorry. Um, But, you know, take a a listen to some of our liver episodes to um, get the basics, but this is when bad things happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this week also too, it is approved for one hour of race approved CE members of the internal medicine for vet techs membership site can definitely complete the quiz and get your certificate non-members though. Of course you can use it as self-study. A lot of our listeners really do just listen because they like to, (laughs) (laughs) they like to listen to us. Oh my God. Yeah. All right. Uh, so the definition of this disease is like, it's like a superficial necrolytic dermatitis. So yes, it presents as a skin disease, but not always. Sometimes you can actually catch the liver disease first. mm -hmm. Um, It is often associated with significant hepatic disease and we'll kind of get in there as to why. Um, But a lot of times when these patients present, they're presenting for the skin lesions. Hepatic disease tends to be of unknown etiology though. Um, There's been a few cases. And when I say a few, like rare cases have been seen with like glucagon secreting tumors, because also this disease can be seen with diabetes mellitus, which is the only way I've seen this disease. I've never seen it in a non-diabetic patient. Oh, I definitely, I've never seen it in a diabetic patient. Oh, really? Weird. (laughs) I was like, wait a second. What? (laughs) Huh? Yeah, no, the ones that I've seen it in, they, they're definitely not diabetic. I mean, they've got bad liver disease, but yeah. Huh. Interesting. That is interesting. Cause yeah, I've only, I, I, maybe I've seen one without 
about diabetes, but we still treated it very much like a diabetic because we're like, oh, let's just keep checking your blood sugar. <laughs> let's just keep making sure. Anytime we have inflammation, we worry about causing the diabetes. <laughs> no. What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so this disease though is pretty rare. Um, however, it's pretty progressive as well. It's chronic and it does tend to be fatal. So that's the big bummer to this disease is that when you see it, you're like, I think of it as like end stage, like liver. it's yeah. really sad because and it also, I think it really depends on how early it's caught too. For sure. Cause I've um, had some patients do really well for like a year yeah. after treatment. Um, but they don't last that much longer cause their livers are, we'll, we'll get to it. Like, yeah, but their livers are wrecked. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, there's no, there's no going around that. Yeah. Um, the liver disease tends to be like a lesion on the liver and it's severe and progressive. So it can definitely spread. Um, mm. And by spread, I mean like throughout the liver. Um, and then the liver dysfunction actually leads to amino acid dysregulation as well as hypoalbuminemia because these patients, so their liver can't function properly. So it's not actually regulating those amino acids in the body, which it doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal that if the liver is just mm. messed up, all it's doing is not regulating amino acids, but it is a big deal because they also, when they've developed the skin lesions, they can form, they can lose protein through the skin and they develop hypoalbuminemia, which Ooh. then leads to ascites and anyway, we'll, yeah. we'll kind of get all there. It is it typically affects dogs, but it can be seen in other small animals like cats. Um, I've only ever seen dogs. Only seen dogs. Um, and then, like I said, most of these patients usually present with like bilateral dermatologic lesions. So they, pre yeah. they present for skin lesions and then like upon workup, they're like, oh, your liver values are elevated too. But sometimes these yeah. patients. I was going to say, and, and being bilateral, like, I think that's one of the big things mm -hmm. is it's not just like a foot, right? Whereas like, if you have skin cancer or you have an infection it tends to be just like localized like no this isn't localized this is multiple places and very similar areas which it, you talk about it in a second so yeah yeah and it's if these patients don't present with the skin lesions first like in my opinion i feel like that's a good sign just because like then you catch it early enough because mm. you've caught it before the amino acid depletion basically yeah um so these patients can sometimes present with like symptoms of hepatic disease, which I'm not going to go too crazy into because we have a lot of episodes <laughs> on hepatic disease, but lethargy, vomiting, diarrhea, weight loss, PUPD, icterus. Um, however, if they're icteric, I have a feeling they'll probably have some skin lesions somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but these skin lesions, like Yvonne was kind of talking about, they tend to be focused on areas of the body that undergo pressure. So a lot of these areas, you're going to see their foot pads look really crusty and gross and they crack and bleed. Mm. Um, and it's not just one foot pad, it's multiple foot pads. Um, their ears, especially periorbital regions, like so around the eyes and then limb pressure points too. So like in the armpits, um, elbows. Yeah. The ones on their... I've seen have been like all four feet. And they're yes. horrible and they're super painful because again, these are like, these are wounds, right? And so yeah. they're, they're open, they're cracked. Sometimes they're bleeding. Sometimes they're infected because you know, it's the foot 
And so it's interesting because I've seen some of them start to be treated like at the PDVM for just like skin, skin infections, Mm -hmm. but instead of getting better, they get worse. You know, it's like, oh yeah, they did get a little better. Like it doesn't look infected, but they're not healing. Yeah. It's Um, like they continue to develop more lesions, but the like the rawness of the lesions will kind of like go away, but they're still there. Like, and they still crack and they still bleed, but yeah, they're just not infected. Um, Also like the skin on these dogs is like fragile. Like don't pick at these lesions. (laughs) Like it's just, (laughs) no, please don't do that. (laughs) I know that there's a lot of techs out there who love to pick and like, trust me, I, I do like to peel a good, like Severia patch, like, but this is not the same. Yvonne's cringing. I, <laughs> I, know, I, like, <laughs> I don't like the derm stuff. Thank you. <laughs> I know like, people who are totally into it. I am not one of them. <laughs> it's like a sunburn though. When you have like the sunburn skin, uh, you're like, stop it. I get so sunburned. That's probably why I'm squidgy about it. I'm like, probably oh. like I don't burn, but Matt will burn. And I'm like, you have- that's why you've never had a sunburn. This is why. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like this this needs to peel off like I just don't like flaky skin so it needs to come off <laughs> sometimes I know to just leave it alone <laughs> I don't have that ability <laughs> right it's part of my mental health <laughs> nice. um anyway so like Yvonne said I'm getting off topic here uh oh, these skin lesions are definitely open draining crusting wounds Um, differential diagnosis I kept it pretty vague because it's hard because there it's it's a lot of skin stuff I mean it is infection um I've seen dermal lymphoma look very similar to this yes yeah parasites The, the key is like just the bilateralness of it but yeah like pyoderma mites any liver disease kind of like we talked about where if they present with just elevated liver enzymes and they don't have the skin lesions yet, especially then our rule out list is going to be much higher. Um, toxins, of course, because toxins can do both, whether it be like a topical toxin or a topical. That makes Sorry. This is really random, but it made me think of, because <laughs> it looked very similar actually. Random's um, we, our thing, Yvonne. Random. I know. Uh, I was still a baby tech, I think. Yeah. I was still a baby tech and this of course it was a lab because labs are stupid but we love them uh, it was a chocolate lab and the, of course it was a chocolate lab i know right <laughs> um the owners were having their deck redone on their house and the workers were outside and i guess they didn't realize the door was open or something like that and the dog walked through the um i guess the paint stripper or whatever i don't even know some caustic chemical with all four Mm. feet and this poor dog had to come in and we did um sugar and honey bandages just because so this this chocolate lab had four sugar honey bandages we always had to wipe like mop the floor anytime he would come in for bandage changes because it'd just be like the sticky mess to and from reception But it looked that dog had to have so many e-collars because like what chocolate lab is not going to try to eat his feet covered in sugar and honey. 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, he did. I, I surprisingly <laughs> did really well, but I just remember any like high step because it was like stuck to the floor. It was really funny. Could you hear it too? It'd be like, yeah. <laughs> yes, you definitely could. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. I do. Like the one thing being in internal medicine, man, I miss wound care. Like I miss, I love wound care. I don't really miss like the maggots or anything, but I miss wound care, like just good old fashioned wound care. (laughs) No, no. If I miss that, I just hop on over to my surgery department, which is like literally an arched doorway away from me. And I go, Ooh, that looks horrible and smells disgusting. I'm out. (laughs) You're doing hydrotherapy. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) Oh, poor dog. (laughs) but he did not have hepatocutaneous syndrome no but it like looking at it like yeah it looks very similar because it's a toxin right and it was like those feet it was bilateral so yeah it's like those dogs that burn their paws on the pavement and then like their (sighs) paw pads peel off it's painful and they don't want to walk and oh i feel bad about that yeah sand hot sand they do that oh anyway back on topic here dang i don't have to deal with that too often but i can imagine yeah it's just like it's hot it's yeah. hot here yeah. people, um, people forget it's too hot for you it's too hot for them yep so our diagnostic list is pretty standard here so of course we're going to run biochemistries even if we're only just seeing these skin lesions um because we're going to look for those elevated liver enzymes like alp alt and of course our t-billy And then, like I said earlier, they can have hypoalbuminemia, and this can definitely be exacerbated when there's like excessive cutaneous lesions. So Mm. they're going to be losing large amounts of protein through those cutaneous lesions. Yeah. So the the body's trying to heal, but it can't. Yeah. So it's exactly oozing protein through the skin. Oh, um, our CBC is going to be pretty boring. There's going to be a mild non-regenerative anemia, uh, definitely can have a leukocytosis just due to pyoderma associated with the skin lesions, mm-hmm. because we're probably going to be battling some sort of like concurrent skin infection with it. Um, a leukocytosis should be there, but it's not going to be like crazy high, like worried about septic. Well, hopefully. right Right. hopefully it's not that bad I did have one come in really bad though really Um, yeah like I think it was I think it was a little bit of um the PDVM not really explaining how severe the the Mm -hmm. patient was plus the owners waited and I think it was because they didn't realize how bad it was um and it was like a tiny Yorkie so I'm sure that dog probably didn't have very many reserves but yeah he came in kind of septic-y um and we had to hospitalize him but but other than that most of the times we don't have that septic yeah going i think on. the last one i saw he was a really mean like karen terrier thing <sighs> like he was so mean and it was like one of those things where we were seeing him like once a week and i'm like come on dude like you've been through this come on now <laughs> get with get it together here we're he's like to- i know that's why i'm mad i know exactly well, what you're about to do <laughs> like the first week wasn't so bad and then like the more we were Aww. fixing him and the better he felt like the more oh. evil he was <laughs> like, oh there's your true personality great yeah how do we keep you from hating us <laughs> at his last visit his dad was like 
I'm having a really hard time giving him his meds. So I think he's good. We're not going to come back for another infusion. <laughs> like he feels Aww. fine. So, Cause like his dad was like, dude, he's biting me. Like he feels really good. Like he was happy. He was like, he, he feels was like, really he's good. back to his normal self. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He was one of those oh. parents who was like, my dog is an asshole. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> he's a really nice guy. He's like, he feels like crap. He's not trying to eat your face off. And you're like, Basically, great. I love yeah. when that's the benchmark. Cool. Yeah, this was like <laughs> before COVID. He brought him in. And I remember getting a temperature in the room. And he was like, see, he doesn't feel good. He didn't even try to bite you. <laughs> oh, no. Poor guy. Uh, I've definitely had those patients. <laughs> I do like those patients because like parents will be like, I like when I have nice parents and then they're like, mm-hmm. we're really sorry he's trying to bite you. And I'm like, no, I mean, like, it's good. It tells me he feels good. Like I'm right? cool. You're like, okay, like, this is his, this is his thing. He feels yeah, better. Yeah. I'm cool with him. Anyway, I keep getting off topic today, man. I can't like, this no, is me without but coffee. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but it does pertain to these guys, you know, a lot because they do feel like come in feeling pretty punky. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think it's, you know, when we start seeing their true personalities come out, I think that's a good thing. And and that could be that they're naughty. (laughs) Yeah. Or it could be all of a sudden they're super affectionate too, right? And so. Yeah, definitely. You know, those are things that we. I love seeing the change in behavior. Like yeah. if a patient's hospitalized, I love seeing that change. Like no matter what way the direction they goes. go, <laughs> as long as they have more energy and they're perky and you're like, this yeah. is your real personality. Yay. Yeah. And yeah, owners, exactly. owners see that. And then they're like, oh my God, it feels better. Yeah. Yeah. So these patients, though, too, we will be taking radiographs just because we'd like to try to do a thorough job. So on radiographs, you might see peritoneal fusion. So we might see a little bit of ascites, especially if there is marked hypoalbuminemia, um, as well as noting a microhepatica, which kind of blows my mind because, I mean, like, I know liver disease usually shrinks the liver, but for some reason with this, I always expect the liver to be bigger. Mm. And I don't know, well, I know why. So on, so then we, we moved to ultrasound. Yeah. Ultrasound I say, we like, don't always do abdomen rads. We definitely do chest rads. as kind of like a met check just because these are usually older patients with multiple things kind of worried if, I mean, about, but yeah, the majority of the time, if we plan on doing an ultrasound, we don't do rads, but they come with rads unless yeah, we're just, doing Oh chest yeah. Rads. From like the PDVM. Yeah, that's true. I feel like PDVMs probably are doing more abdominal radiographs is like screening that makes yeah, sense. exactly yeah to like yeah. look for like a liver mass or something like that um yeah or, or peritoneal fusion <laughs> because of low albumin yeah. um but the ultrasound images are this is another one of those cases where you're like oh it looks so cool but it's so bad yeah like it's so but anyway so the liver actually has like a swiss cheese appearance and no joke swiss cheese appearance like I like the first time I read it, I was like, okay, these books tend to exaggerate a little, but like, then you see it and you're like, no, that liver definitely looks like it has a bajillion holes in it. Yeah. Like a bajillion. It is. That's why I expect the liver to be big on x-ray, but it's not, Mm. I think is because like, I expect it to be, I don't know. (laughs) You're like, there's holes. Yeah. There's holes. It must be bigger. Um, (laughs) So when we see the liver that looks like this, that Swiss cheese appearance, it's considered pathognomonic. I think I'm saying that right. So not technically (laughs) (laughs) diagnostic, but just highly indicative of hepatocutaneous syndrome. 
Yeah, uh, it's one of those things where um, you see it and you're like, ooh. <laughs> Let's, let's go down that, that hunt, that path. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, of course I put coagulation <laughs> testing on here. Yeah. It's, it's liver stuff. Yep. Just to make sure that the liver can still make coags. Which God, that would, suck if it, that would suck if it, it would suck for many reasons if it couldn't, but like with, <sighs> with all those, those lesions? skin lesions. Yeah. But even with like treatment, which we'll get to like, if you have high coags, like, dude, you're stuck. Like you can't. I mean, I guess you do plasma, but. Oof. Yeah. Anyway, coags. I'm a big fan of coags. Anytime liver <laughs> is involved. <laughs> yeah. Um, so of course, if coags are normal, then biopsy is what would be recommended to actually diagnose. So this can be done with a surgical laparotomy or laparoscopic surgery. Um, and there's, two biopsies. So technically we should be obtaining a biopsy of the liver as well as a skin biopsy. Um, which is crazy. I don't think we've ever biopsied a liver on these patients. I don't think we have either. Like we usually do the ultrasound and then we're like, and then we biopsy the skin because we're like, yeah, "Mm, you have liver disease. This probably wouldn't be a good idea because a skin biopsy, a lot of times you could just do like a local block. Right. And then you're not worrying about anesthesia and a patient with liver disease. So a lot of times we don't do surgical. Um, we just do a skin biopsy just to, you know, well, and, and not only does that help with diagnosing hepatocutaneous syndrome, it also helps to see if, you know, do you have an infection going on there? Yeah, deep infection. So I think there's a lot of reasons why we don't, um, automatically jump to liver biopsy yeah well not to mention like too if they have these lesions on their abdomen that are infected as well like trying to explore through that is pretty risky as well but it was recommended to get biopsies ultrasound guided sampling does not provide adequate like tissue amounts um to diagnose this and then of course it's going to be contraindicated for aside from other reasons that we just mentioned, but <laughs> if there's ascites or if the elevated coags um, are Present there, that will contra in, yeah, that'll contraindicate our liver biopsying. Um, but yeah, skin biopsying sh- is also required for diagnosis though. And like Yvonne said, local anesthetics can be used. And then the great thing about this is while you're doing a skin biopsy, yeah, you can get that deep tissue like culture sample. Yeah. To see if there's like, and the other big thing, and I mean, most of the times we're not the ones doing biopsies, but, um, this is something to just kind of keep in the back of your head. If you're helping a doctor who doesn't always do skin biopsies, right. Cause not everybody does. Um, like my internal medicine doctor would not do a skin biopsy. We would have our surgery department do it. But if you're dealing with the sample, um, just you know, if you notice that the biopsy sample itself isn't very deep, right. It's just like a little superficial biopsy. You might want to just ask, you know, gently (laughs) just be like, Hey, why are, why are you not going for a deeper sample? Because sometimes what we'll see is like, if they do just like a superficial biopsy, the only sample that they have is like the damaged necrotic, sample instead of the deeper sample, which is going to show you what's going on. So, you know, if you're involved with it and you notice that the sample just doesn't seem like it's very substantial, 
just be like, Hey, you know, do you, do you want to take a look at the sample? Do you think this is enough? Like you can always, you can always prompt your doctors that way instead of being like, Hey, you didn't get enough sample. Don't do that. That's bad. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's also like sometimes like when obtaining samples like that, you really want to get those like really gnarly, like nasty pieces, but like in this situation, you don't (laughs) (laughs) right. You want to get down below. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah you don't want those like nasty necrotic tissues um because all it's going to come back as is necrotic tissue right right you're like oh great and then yeah. that's disappointing oh it is it's so sad yeah so treatment for these guys is really focused on symptomatic care as big of a bummer as that is um and i think this one it's it's not a ton of technician care but i feel like Unless you're doing these infusions. I don't know. I felt like that was all me when we did these. Right. I was just going to say, like, when you're doing the infusions, like the doctor does a physical exam for the day and then that's it. (laughs) Yeah. And then the rest is all tech duty. So I think they're, but they're not intensive. It's just, I would say time consuming. Um, And then the nice thing is too, because it is, you know, it's not just a one and done thing then um they're coming in fairly regularly mm-hmm. and so we do get like we form that attachment like whoever is working with the patient you know because it is a regular infusion instead of just like they're hospitalized once and then they go home so yeah exactly so the so the main treatment base for these patients is really trying to correct that amino acid deficiency um this is really for those patients that have the cutaneous lesions because they need that correction. If they just have the liver disease and that Swiss cheese appearance, but don't have the skin lesions yet, then basically the goal for those patients would be to try to just maintain our protein levels and our amino acid levels. But again, it's a progressive disease. So they very well might come back in two or three weeks and need the amino infusion. Uh, So, um, because that's what this amino acid infusion is for. It's basically to treat these cutaneous lesions and not, it's not repairing the liver in any way. It's just replenishing the body of the amino acids that have been lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is accomplished by IV administration of an amino acid solution. And this needs to be a jugular catheter. So it just needs to be a central catheter. Um, so we use a peripheral central line and not a jugular catheter, but yeah. it depends on the percent solution. Yeah. Yeah. We, I wrote jugular catheter, but we've done peripheral central lines because. So, okay. I was going to say, we should explain why. So procalamine, I think that's the one that we use too. Um, That's the only one I can find when I search for this product. (laughs) Yeah. It used to be, um, it may have been aminosin. I, I know that there was another product that we used all the time that is discontinued now. Like it just happened in the last maybe two or three years where it was discontinued, but that particular one was, a was much higher osmotic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. See, so I never got to use that one. Yeah. So that one had to be in a peripheral. Cause I, I want to say it was like a 30% solution or maybe even 50%. You mean had to pee in a jugular? in the jugular or like a really good 
like peripheral. Um, just because what happens is if you don't do that because of the, um, because of the high osmolarity of the solution, if we give it in a just regular peripheral catheter, we would actually cause phlebitis and cause all sorts of problems. So because of that, a jugular catheter or a peripheral central line is required because basically what you're doing is you're delivering that drug into, um, a bigger vessel. So it dilutes it pretty quickly, um, versus like your regular IV catheter. Yeah. The procalamine is a much lower percentage than the aminosin. Um, so now we, we still tend to use, um, like a, a back leg central line just because I think we're just kind of used to it, but I think in theory you can use a peripheral catheter, mm-hmm. especially if you're using the lower concentration. Cause I think procalamine comes in like a couple percent solutions. So if you use the lower percentage one, you yeah. don't have to worry about it, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, and then the solution set up and given over eight to 12 hours. Um, and typically we do a BG curve performed at the same time with these patients, because there is, I mean, aside from my patients, usually being diabetic, it can cause their BGs to drop as well. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I don't think we've ever done that. Yeah. I wonder, I don't know if it's because ours are diabetic and yours aren't but we're, we always check, like we do a full BG curve, like checking every two hours during these infusions with our patients. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, especially for a diabetic patient that because proteins, a lot of times, um, carry drugs, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I wouldn't be surprised if it affected, um, insulin uptake into blood cells, you know? What yeah. I mean? Yeah. Huh, interesting. I'd have to look into yeah. that. And then <laughs> infusion should be repeated. So kind of like my case that I was talking about repeated every seven to 10 days until the skin lesions improve with a maximum of four doses. A lot of my patients always get to like three doses and they're like, they're doing great. We don't, do I that. think you can, I think you can do it more. It's just, um, because we'll, like you have we'll, to wait a certain amount of time. Maybe that's what it is because we'll do, especially the first beginning ones we'll do like every seven to 10 days. Yeah. And then, um, I want to say it's like three or four doses and then we like spread them apart. Like, I want to say then yeah. we go to like once a month or something like that, depending of course, how the patient's doing. Interesting. Yeah. Four cycles can be given if no response seen further amino acid infusions are futile, but typically it's just the four doses. Hmm. Yeah. Cause we've had patients that respond to the four doses yeah, and then we just, and then, and then we just spread them farther apart just yeah. depending on how they're doing. Yeah. Um, like, like we have one right now who gets it every four to six weeks, I think. Um, and that just keeps just them- one dose. Yeah. Yeah. Which I yeah. think, yeah, that's definitely like doable. I think they're just talking like the initial treatment should just be like the four, but like I said, most of my patients have only come to three. It's kind of expensive. So a lot of yeah. my patients, my, my clients are kind of like, uh, I've had a few of my patients come back after like a month or two and we'll give another infusion and then I won't see them again for a while. <laughs> yeah. And I think it depends too. Like, I, I feel like a lot of mine that, that are doing more regular maintenance and stuff like that. I, I feel like they probably have insurance. 
And so yeah, probably. it does really help offset the price. Um, and then we had a couple of times because it, it, it does come like in the one big jar, like mm-hmm. the, what is it? It's like a, a thousand mils. Yeah. I think something? it's a thousand mils and yeah. like, it's a one-time use only like, so yeah. they have to buy the entire jar and like, yeah. And we've had a couple dogs where need two jars. Oof. Wow. I've had one dog that needed, like, I think the total was like 1300 mils. I think all of mine have been small. <laughs> yeah. But we were really fortunate because we had two patients kind of at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so they, we would try to schedule them on the same day so that they didn't have to pay for the full bottle every time. Yeah. You could draw um, it out and put it in a dry bag. Well, no, they, we just, they were Strange on the same food. day. So it was like, we pulled, yeah, we did syringe pumps. We do syringe pumps for all of ours. Yeah. Cause unfortunately we've had it a couple of times where you put the injection or, you know, the admin set into it and it drips so we just pull up our individual syringes um but so we just did that and shared the bottle between the two pets because they were there on the same day but yeah you can't you can't save it which sucks no because it's Um, only good like once open for i think like 24 hours or something like that too yeah and i think that's because of the i think there's a sugar solution of some sort in there Mm -hmm. and so it's not like bacteria will grow in it (laughs) which is another reason why i think we're checking blood sugars i think that that makes sense too that like for a diabetic yeah Yeah. um these patients though can show signs of hepatic encephalopathy during well during after these infusions um just due to high ammonia levels but it typically resolves by itself within like 12 hours after the infusion. Yeah. We've had some that just had hepatic encephalopathy, not because of the infusion. So there's that. Yeah. Just because (laughs) of the liver. Because of the liver disease. Yeah. Yeah. And then like to go home care for these patients, um, these patients are best sent home with like high protein diets because of course they're losing proteins, they're losing amino acids. So we want to keep those protein levels high. There's, I read a couple things, not even just one thing, like a few things about adding like amino acids to their food. Like I know I take like amino acids when I work out. Um, mm-hmm. so it's like the bodybuilder type. Mind you, mine's like blue raspberry flavor. So my dogs would be like, no, <laughs> like, yeah. but obviously chicken flavored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have no idea why any bodybuilder wouldn't want to drink a chicken flavored, like supplement. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so that could definitely be added to the food. However, I imagine that there has to be very careful, like research as to which product you get, because a lot of the ones that I take have like caffeine and stuff in them and xylitol and all that fun business. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What? That's that's not good for dogs. Let's not do that. (laughs) I mean, it's not that great for humans, but that's true. (laughs) So supplemental zinc can also be administered as well as omega-2 fatty acids, just because we're just trying to replenish those like natural like supplements in the body that they're losing. Um, some dermatologists also recommend treating with niacinamide, um, usually twice a day. And then of course we're going to give like our typical liver stuff. Um, like our, I'm going to say the brand name Ursodile and then Sam E, um, (laughs) vitamin E. (laughs) It's all the stuff that the liver should be making or should be, um, converting (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's not because it's liver dysfunction. Um, so it's, it really is a lot of liver support medications, um, 
as as well as the amino acid infusions Um, yeah so but that's what it is it's just support it's not treating anything it's not fixing anything other than temporarily improving the skin right well i mean you're temporarily improving the amino acid deficiencies right so there's So there is that, but it's not a permanent solution, unfortunately. So Mm -hmm. um, they tend to get worse, which sucks. Yeah, because it's always like they'll do great. And then it's like all of a sudden, like they'll just catch on fire. And like there's no in between. Like at least like the initial visits always like, well, it progressed to this. And then now they're doing great. And then there's no progression. It's just bad. Yeah. (laughs) Like... Well, and I think that's something that, you know, when the doctors are talking to the clients and when we're following up, (laughs) talking to clients, just reminding them that yes, they feel better now because we've, you know, corrected the amino acid deficiency or we've added in these medications to help. But at some point, right, like the liver damage is still there. It's going to get worse. So it is progressive. And so it's just a matter of, I don't know, making sure you talk about quality of life care, having that conversation, you know, as reminding them as clients that they need to, as a family, figure out where their stopping point is because sometimes they don't crash and burn. Sometimes they smolder. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and obviously these people are very dedicated because they're going through all this. So sometimes that makes it even harder, especially when we're talking like human animal bond stuff. So that communication, you know, sometimes we're having to work with them on quality of life, which yeah, exactly. I feel like that's because, a lot of internal medicine. Yeah, too, definitely. So. Definitely. Cause ideally our doctors would have had that conversation, that prognosis is poor. And then it's up to us to just keep tabs and make sure that yeah. they are aware of kind of what's happening with their pet. Yeah. And I think too, like the guilt, right. That clients kind of go through and, and letting them know that they're doing what they can and it's okay at some point to be like, I can't keep going. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately we get to do that a lot of times too. Yeah. Yeah. And then especially too, if these di- if these patients are mm. diabetic, diabetes can be super difficult to manage due to the disease, which of course drops the pet's quality of life too. So that's a conversation that should be had as well, where if the diabetes is just out of whack, the skin's crazy and the dog's painful, yeah. like in the liver is just like progressively getting worse. Like that, that's very poor quality for the dog and for the owners to have to try to battle with maintaining a good diabetic regimen that works. And and it's really hard to do that because you've got so much inflammation and we all know Mm -hmm. inflammation causes insulin resistance. And then you've got additional insulin resistance and, and just from liver disease. And then, um, what glucagon is the liver, Mm -hmm. right? So glucagon production is not normal because there's liver dysfunction. So there's just so many things stacked against a diabetic patient, then you you have on top of that diabetic patients are going to be predisposed to infections. So then it's like, you know, their feet potentially can get more infected or their elbows or whatever it is. So it's re I mean, diabetes in this definitely makes it harder 
and hard yeah, to control. I, I couldn't imagine. No. On a more positive note though, um, <laughs> we can talk with our clients about getting booties because yep. booties can help our patients whose feet are painful when they're walking. And there's mm. a lot of cute booties out there now. There um, are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> other than that, like client communication is pretty big just on quality of life. Um, so a caution for these patients, just like a lot of our IM patients is just handle with care. These patients are painful. Like their skin is gross and flakes off. And like, when you get that, like when you try to move them and then that skin stays on your hand and it's just like, I know I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You totally went there. (laughs) I did. Cause it's a thing like, oh man, I feel for these patients. I usually like wrap them in a blanket and then I'm just like. Yeah, I like hold well, them like a rabbit. And, <laughs> like, and, and I mean, it is important to remember they are painful. So hopefully, you're you, hopefully there's some sort of pain management protocol going on mm-hmm. as well, right? Um, so that's something too that if you notice that they are painful, talk to your doctor because they could get pain medication. You know, whether that's gabapentin to go home um, or some other medication that is liver friendly because. NSAIDs are not going to be an option for these guys. Like they're not going to be able to metabolize it. Um, so just, you know, kind of keep that on the back of your, you know, back shelf be like, Oh yeah, they're painful. You know, can they get medication to potentially, cause I don't know about you, but if I've placed a catheter and that like their foot's funky and I'm holding their foot to try to place a catheter, that's not always great. So pain medication can help. Yeah. Um, I feel bad. I feel bad for those patients. Ooh. Yeah. Man. It's the tip of the week. So our tip of the week this week, um, I thought would be good is if these patients are moving forward with amino acid therapy, because I'm a stickler for coags, um, check coags prior to like jugular catheter placement or any sort of central line placement. <laughs> um, that's a very good point. Please do not put a jug cath in if the patient has high coags. Yeah. Or if you don't know the coagulation status, please don't put a jugular catheter in, <laughs> um, right. until you know that status. So, yeah. And that, and, you know, honestly, that might be one of those things, especially when you're very first seeing them again, you may need to stabilize these patients before we do an amino acid therapy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you might have to do plasma beforehand to get those coags under control. You may have to, um, diurese them to get some of the T billy under control. You know, it just kind of depends on what's going on. Um, and then we can do the amino acid infusion. So, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just but something. luckily procalamine is a thing and I think you can get away with just a normal peripheral catheter Yeah, in that. Um, so, but yes, still checking coag should be on the list. And now for the question of the week. Uh, so this week's question of the week is, have you ever seen the Swiss cheese appearance of a hepatocutaneous syndrome liver? And if so, were you aware of that differential when you saw it? So, um, you know, unlike I probably do sometimes I just go, Oh, cancer, (laughs) (laughs) cancer. Um, you know, it is possible that it is, um, hepatocutaneous syndrome. Um, but now, you know. Mm-hmm. and knowing is half the battle that was very wise that's a very wise saying i like it 
Oh, you're too young. Dang it. I <laughs> Wait, did not that's make from a- something? Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. Anybody who grew up in the 80s, I know you're with <laughs> me on this one. Uh, I'm sorry. It. That was totally a G.I. Joe reference. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the cartoon, not the movie. So there. No, sorry. Uh, I was just talking to someone though about the other, like the other day, not to get like our normal random chit chat at the end of these episodes, right. but <laughs> about how I was feeling old, and I was like, "Man, you remember Pogs? Like, cause I like lived in oh, California. Pogs, yeah, like Pogs were a huge thing when I lived in California, and like I remember walking down to Seven Eleven, and Taco Bell was right next door, and my brother and I, like, apparently, dude, I was four when we lived in California, so apparently <laughs> we were allowed to do this by ourselves." And so my brother would go there, we'd go to Taco Bell, we'd get Pogs, and then we'd come back home and we'd play Pogs. And then like, we moved to Ohio, like just before, actually it was like, we got to Ohio on my fifth birthday, because I remember getting like a Reese cup with a candle in it and like pizza for my birthday. <laughs> um, it was very memorable. Like it wasn't bad. Like I yeah. got these cool white and pink rollerblades. I was five. Nice. Um, <laughs> but like when we moved to Ohio, it went from oh, Pogs nice. to like Pokemon cards. And then oh. my brother became obsessed with like Pokemon cards. And I was like, I was talking about this with someone and I was like, man, this makes me feel old because like millennials now, like my cousin, she's a millennial and she's like, what are pogs? And I was like, God, you oh. suck. Like, <laughs> like, let's see. My childhood consisted of, um, heffalumps, never um, heard of it. strawberry shortcake, care bears, yeah, glow worms. And- Star Wars, Garbage Pail Kids. Yeah, that was my childhood because I was an 80s child. I mean, so I, like I remember Pogs and I remember, um, what did you just say? Pogs and Pokemon cards. Pokemon. Yeah, I was, I was, I was like middle school and high school. And I was and like, cool that is that. so a kid thing. That's so lame. <laughs> I remember Aww. like being in elementary school and that was like when the Teletubbies came out and stuff like oh that. Oh my God, like, the Teletubbies. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I was, and then like, we had I Furbies and stuff. That. Yeah. No, I remember Furby. when all that came out. I was too old. I was too old for that stuff. Yeah. See, my childhood was like Furbies and Tamagotchis and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had, well, I didn't. My friends had a Teddy Ruxpin. What's a Teddy Ruxpin? I can't right now. <laughs> it's like the Furby. It was like the first Furby. <laughs> the, the it was a teddy. It was a teddy bear, and he had. I think he had like a cassette tape in the back of him, and he would like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Really showing our our age difference here. I know. It's like you're my baby sister. It's really funny. <laughs> That's how I feel about my cousin because she's ten years younger than me, and I'm oh, like. God. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. <sighs> anyway, let's end this <laughs> episode. I think I... we should have a question number two. What decade did you grow up in? <laughs> yeah, which toys do you remember as a kid? Are oh we in the Yvonne era or are we in the Jordan era? <laughs> or are we in Jordan's cousin's era? Yeah, are we in the Kenzie era of like, I don't even know what she grew up on. Like, I'm just... I don't know any of the millennial stuff other than like maybe it was probably like um okay it was probably Nintendo yeah and Sega 
those stupid little colorful bracelets that like I think they ended up having like a really weird dirty meaning after a while but like because you know people are awful um yeah, I don't even know those ones yeah um, I don't I'll have to ask her like what you grew up with child she's like social media I'm like oh yeah yeah basically <laughs> MSN and <laughs> oh no Ugh. I mean yeah. I still have I remember a phone like a like wall phone as a kid like we didn't yeah, have me cell too. phones I I snuck my first cell phone when I was 16 oh um and then but I remember like my first video game I played was on the computer and it was where in the world is Carmen Sandiego oh I love that game <laughs> oh my god we're gonna have to do a whole like like post on Facebook about like all these things that we did as kids dude we definitely <laughs> need to so all right well let's wrap on that this up note. guys <laughs> Uh, we hope you guys have a wonderful week you keep getting your learn on maybe you have like a nostalgic ramp down um, <laughs> to memory lane to figure out what you did as a kid <laughs> right let us and, know about uh, it because i'm i'm all yours especially if you were like more of a 2000s baby uh, versus a 90s whoa. baby like me or an 80s baby like me yeah or even earlier maybe there's earlier yeah i bet there's people that might be like 70s and 60s kid that sounds fun i'd like to know what 70s and 60s did dude it's probably like hula hoops and yo-yos and like cool stuff like that oh man you remember so i remember (laughs) i had to skip it when i was a kid oh i i do remember those coming out they were they were scary (laughs) (laughs) skippets and yo-yos and hacky sack oh man okay (laughs) all right we will talk to you guys next week (laughs) have a good week guys take care Bye. bye thank you for listening to today's episode of the internal medicine for vet techs podcast if you like what you heard we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.